I just want to say Merry Christmas to you, everyone in the building today. Merry Christmas and Merry Christmas to all of you joining us online. We're so glad to have you worshiping with us, whether you're near or far. I know there's a lot of people that are sick. You can tell I've been nurturing my voice all week, getting ready for this moment, uh, trying to make sure it lasts for two services. Uh, But I just pray that God would empower me to give you the word of God today. Are you ready for that? Amen, amen. Well, in a moment, I'm going to say a phrase. And I want you to fill in the blank at the end of the phrase. I'm going to say just the first thing that comes to your mind when I say this statement, okay? All right? The first thing that comes to your mind when I say, all I want for Christmas is... All right? And so I just think right now, some of you, as I say, all I want for Christmas, maybe you're the person in your family who's been getting everyone's wish list this year. Who's in charge of the wish list for your family? Maybe I said that statement and you just had a, a sense of like, like, not one more thing. I don't want to hear one more thing, right? How many are, who's all done your shopping already? Anyone done your Christmas shopping? All right. Anyone you haven't started yet? Let's see your hands. Okay. All you brave shoppers. Well, you know, maybe you're the person and you hear all I want for Christmas and you're thinking, not one more thing to add to the list, please, right? Maybe, maybe I said all I want for Christmas and your mind immediately thought to your wish list. Maybe there's something that you are hoping for and you've had your eye on. Maybe you don't really need that much. Maybe there's nothing much on your list. And so you would say, all I want for Christmas is for my family and my friends to be healthy and happy. And you're just like, that's all I want for Christmas. Maybe as some of you, I heard you call it out. Maybe I said, all I want for Christmas. And this is what came to your mind. Who thought of that song right there? Anyone? I heard a bunch of you call that out. All right. Maybe there's a bit of an age demographic. Who thought of this song right here? All right, you thought I was going to sing. Last year, you got me singing Mariah Carey, and I went all in on it against my better judgment. And, uh, and Pastor Holly said, you're not doing it this year. Do not do it. We actually, I'll tell you a little secret. I went into the live stream, and I edited it out of last year's sermon. So no one will ever see a record of me singing. You're not going to get me singing. But, you know, there's a lot of, of wanting and wishing and waiting at Christmas, right? All I want for Christmas And as we think about this idea, uh, anyone remember the Sears Christmas wish book? Anyone remember that? Going back a few years. Now, some of you don't have any idea what the wish book was, but the wish book was 600 pages of goodness. And it would just come in the mail, and you would get it, and just I remember pouring over that wish book. Who remembers pouring over the wish book as a kid, right? And what would you do? You got to circle all the things that you were wishing and wanting and hoping for. Now, some of you kids have no idea about that. And uh, you just go on the uh, online shopping and you add things to the cart. Anyone on Amazon? I can't go to Amazon and make an order without checking the cart first because I'm going to order things that I didn't put in the cart. There's always things in the cart waiting and people are wanting, wishing, and waiting for, right? Maybe you've been on social media and you just like, you just say a word. Ever notice that? You just say the word and all of a sudden the ads start popping up on your phone for that thing, right? It's a magic how that happens. Well, we love counting down the days to Christmas and there's something energizing about the anticipation of Advent. And maybe it's the gifts on the wish list that we're waiting and hoping and wanting. Uh, Maybe it's gift giving. We're just like, we can't wait. You know, when I first got married to Pastor Holly, I had to train her because she was so like impatient. (laughs) That came out wrong. (laughs) 
We all know I got all the training. I understand, yeah. But, but I had to, she would come home from the mall and she'd go, you want to see what I got you? And I would say, no, I don't want to know what you got me. I want to wait till Christmas, right? There's a lot of, maybe you're just so excited to give something or maybe it's spending time with family or friends and you can't wait. You have the anticipation of waiting for Christmas. Now, I know for some of us, uh, we're waiting, maybe it's not so much anticipation, but maybe a bit more apprehension. Maybe this is our first Christmas away from family and friends, and we have moved to the area, and it's going to be a little different for us. Uh, maybe this is our first Christmas without some people that we love, and we might have lost loved ones in the past year, and we're wondering what the holiday will be like without them uh, around. You know, maybe you're unsure if your family will show up, and if they do, you're not quite sure how that interaction will be, and so there's some apprehension that comes with waiting for the season. But there's a lot of wanting, wishing, waiting in the Christmas season. It's always been that way. You know, as we turn to Scripture, we see a lot of wanting, wishing, and waiting in the Christmas story. We see the long-awaited Messiah, that there is this anticipation of prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus' birth. Uh, we see that there was wishing for a deliverer to come. We know the context of the Christmas stories that the Jewish people were under an incredible amount of uh, oppression from foreign powers. And, uh, and, and in this uh, time of expectation, they, they expected a deliverer was coming who would set things right. They expected a deliverer who would enact justice, who would deliver the poor and restore the disenfranchised. And so the constant thought and the constant source of hope was this prophetic coming of a hero. They were looking towards and hoping for a strength outside themselves to rescue them. They were wanting and wishing and waiting for a hero. You know, last week we kicked off our Christmas sermon series and we were looking at some of the prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament and we saw that these uh, prophecies were fueling the hope of the people for a hero. We saw that and it continues to fuel our hope today. And if you turn with me in your Bible, it says Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to continue where we left off last week in our series, Unto Us. And we talked about this idea last week that the scriptures aren't just written as a record of philosophy or they're not just record of uh, ideas or ideals, but they're actually written to a specific time and place that these uh, prophetic words are spoken to give hope to a specific people at a specific time and a specific place in history, that they were written to a people who were experiencing a promise from God. This hope was given to people who were expecting a promise from God. And they were also given and spoken to give hope to a specific people at a specific time and place as they received the arrival of that promise. As we go to the New Testament and we see that story unfolding in the manger, that as they received the fulfillment, the arrival of that promise, it brought hope and joy. And it's also written to you and to me in this time and in this place as we experience the fulfillment and the outplaying of that prophecy. So we look at scripture, and it's not just uh, an idea or a philosophy, but it's written to a specific time and place to a people, but it is also written to us and brings us hope today. Unto us, unto us. 
As we talked about last week, these verses are written 700 years before that Christmas scene would unfold in an unassuming stable. And they were part of over 322 prophecies of our coming Savior who would be born. Uh, prophecies about uh, specific details, his birth and life and his death. And, and we saw that these prophecies point to the fact that it's not just a coincidence that Jesus came to earth, but as the fingerprints of God are all over this story. So in this passage, Isaiah prophesies about God's plan of salvation. And in it, he talks about four functions of Jesus' character, four titles or terms that will be used to describe him. And we just sang about them just a moment ago. And so we're unpacking them one each week and seeing how we can find strength and comfort, encouragement, and hope in Jesus. And so today we're going to look at Jesus, our mighty God. Everyone say mighty God. Not just God, but mighty God. How many know a mighty God is awesome? You know, as I shared a moment ago, the people of Israel's day were looking towards and hoping for strength outside themselves to rescue them. Last week, we talked about how King Ahaz had received a prophetic word from the Lord in his time of need and desperation as King Ahaz, the king of Judah, was looking at the nation of Syria and Israel and dreading their impending attack. They had threatened him to depose him from the throne and replace him with someone who was aligned to their program and their vision. And in that moment, God gives him a prophetic word through Isaiah and says, don't worry, this attack isn't going to happen. But King Ahaz, in his desperation, makes a side deal. He makes an alliance with Assyria. He looks to them as his outside source of power and help. And in that moment, we see that Assyria actually comes. And instead of being his deliverer, they come and they overpower him and make him its slave. And so this is the setting that we find the people receiving this promise in, of this coming hero who will come and deliver them. These words are written in Isaiah 9.1, In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And you will enlarge the nation of Israel, and his people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and the warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery, and you will lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. Would you read this passage with me together? Would you, well, can we read it together on the count of three? One, two, three. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it says his government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Now before we go any further, I want to pause for a moment and look at something so beautiful in this text. Something that might be uh, easy to skip over, but I want to recognize something important in it. And it's in verse 6. It says, For unto us 
a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now, why would Isaiah say this twice? Why would he repeat himself? Maybe he's trying to be fancy in his writing and he's trying to you know, embellish and have some flourish in his writing. Or maybe he writes it because it's not the same thing. Maybe he writes it because it's two different things happening. He's trying to tell us something incredibly profound about the source of our hope. On that first Christmas, in that manger setting, he said Jesus was born as a child, but Jesus, the Son of God, was preexistent. He's trying to teach us something here. The Son was not born. The Son has always been and will always be. In the setting, a child was born, but a son was given. The child and the son are one. We see this unity, but they are terms to use to describe them in very intentional and different ways. What Isaiah wants us to know that here is that as a child is born, he's speaking to the humanity of Jesus. But when he says a son is given, he's talking about the divinity of Jesus. A child is born speaks to the earthly realm, and a son is given speaks to the heavenly realm. We see here that a child is born speaks of the son of man. We see Jesus often called the son of man, but a child is given, a son is given speaks of the son of God. And so in this uh, passage, Isaiah summarizes the duality of Jesus in an incredibly simple yet incredibly profound way. Theologically, we have a really fancy word for this. Anyone like theological words you can throw around? Here's one you probably haven't used. Probably this whole last year, you probably haven't used this word. It's the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. That's the word that we use to describe this duality of Christ, this duality of Jesus. Now, at the time, as you look through ancient history and you look through, uh, you know, the gods of worship and the mythology of Greeks and Romans and Egyptians and all the people that would be surrounding Israel at this time, they all have an idea of gods. We have distant gods. We have Zeus and, and we have all these different gods and the Egyptians had their own gods. But we also have an idea of demigods. When you look through mythology and history, the idea of a demigod is that uh, the gods would have a child, usually with a, a human mom. We think of someone like Hercules, or maybe Achilles, you know, the Greek warrior of mythology. And this idea of a demigod would be half god and half human. And we see these uh, stories play out in mythology. But unlike the demigods that were 50-50, god, 50% human, we see that Jesus, is uniquely positioned in all of history, 100% God and 100% human. Uh, this is important. This is the hypostatic union that we have undiminished deity and perfect humanity, fully God and fully man. And so in uh, theology, we call it Jesus the God-man, undiminished. And it's an amazing thing. You don't see this anywhere else in any kind of religious thought or uh, study. How does this happen? We talk about the incarnation that, that, Jesus, that God came to this earth. How does it happen? I don't know. All I know is I read in Scripture, John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So the Word became human and made His home among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, 
as one and only son. How does this incarnation happen? I don't know. All I know is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And to a people looking towards and hoping for strength outside themselves to rescue them, they're wanting, wishing, and waiting for a hero. God says, I myself will come. Unto you is born a child, but unto you is given a son. And what will that son do as we read through this passage? Verse 2 says that the son is going to push back the darkness with light. It's going to cause joy to spring up in the midst of gloom. We see that he's going to break the slavery of oppression and will bring an end to war. And this child, this son, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, I love this Mighty God. The word for Mighty God, when you go to the Greek, is El Gabor. El Gabor. I said Greek, I meant Hebrew. It's El Gabor. El Gabor, that's amazing. Last week we had, uh, you know, the wonderful counselor. Today we have this mighty God, El Gabor. El Gabor means strong and mighty, but it has with it a connotation of being a warrior. We have this warrior God, a champion, a hero. This El Gabor is our mighty God. How do we know that as the wonderful counselor, Jesus isn't just an ideas guy? He's not the one just suggesting and making suggestions and coming up with ideas. He is the mighty God. He has the ideas, but he also has the strength and the power to see it through. Zephaniah, remember last week we talked about the major and the minor prophets? The only difference being major prophets had a lot to say, so they had more than one scroll to write on. The minor prophets had one scroll or less. And so Zephaniah, we have a minor prophet, but he also is prophesying towards this day, towards the birth of Christ. And this is what he says, Zephaniah chapter 3, that on that day the announcement to Jerusalem will be, cheer up Zion, don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He is a mighty Savior. Find hope, find joy, find strength in this. Jeremiah 32 says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Maybe you got to turn to the person beside you and say, nothing's too hard for him. Nothing's too hard for him. I don't know what you're going through right now, but this morning I want you to know that nothing is too hard for him. He is El Gabor. He is the mighty God. Now, one of the criticisms people have of the gospel and our hope in Jesus is that if we truly have a mighty God and if nothing is too hard for him, then why do we still live in a world of trouble, of pain and disappointment? Have you ever been to the hospital? And as you go into the waiting room, you have to go through a little thing called triage. Right, you go to the triage and they're gonna assess where your need falls in the midst of all the other needs in that place. I remember one time uh, Holly and I were on vacation. We only had one child at the time and uh, we were driving in the States and we've been driving all day and we're following the GPS, just going wherever it tells me to go. And there's a section around Washington, D.C. where you have, you know, you have Virginia and West Virginia and Maryland, you have all of Delaware, you have all these different states kind of coming to a real tight place and I I don't know what state I was in. I was just following the GPS at this time. And when the traffic started to get heavy and I rear-ended the car in front of me. 
And as I rear-ended the car in front of me, its trailer hitch went into my radiator and my car was dead on the, on the, on the road. And, and in this moment, you know, it was kind of this, this moment of collision. You know, it wasn't, the airbags didn't go off. It wasn't that bad. But I remember Holly was pregnant with Jaden at that time. And so, you know, she had the seatbelt on here. I'm looking at her. I'm like, are you okay? How are you feeling? What's happening? And all the assessment of the situation. Madison's crying in the back seat. I think she's about two years old at this time. And, and and we're just kind of assessing where we're at and we're, you know, okay, we're all good, we're all safe, you're good, How you, how's the baby, all that kind of stuff. We look in the back seat, we're like, Maddie, are you okay? She's crying, we're like, it's okay, it's okay. She goes, I dropped my orange. <laughs> How many know there's a triage of importance, right? There's a triage, and as we look at our lives and the world that we live in, we can look at God and we say, why do we still live in this world of trouble, of pain, and disappointment if you're a mighty God? This is what I want us to know today, that in the first advent, advent just means coming. In the first coming of Jesus, Jesus came, and he was triaging the needs of the world. In the first coming, Jesus came to defeat sin and death. We see in Jesus' first coming that he came, that he died on the cross and demonstrated his mighty power through the resurrection of the dead. You know, our world's primary problem isn't our bad health or our broken relationships or the armies that want to destroy us. Our primary problem is that we are sinners separated from God and that we're spiritually dead. As Jesus assessed the needs of the world, he said sin is the first issue that I need to deal with. Jesus' first coming was to defeat sin and death and offer victory to everyone who would receive it. But then we see that there's also a second advent promise that we are also not just looking to the coming of Jesus, but there's a second coming. And in the second advent, the second coming, Jesus said that he will rid the world of evil, pain, and suffering. Revelation 19 verse 11 says, I saw the heavens open. This is John on the Isle of Patmos and he has a prophetic word. Just like Isaiah had a prophetic word of the first coming, Jesus, uh, John has a prophetic word of the second coming. And he says, I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there and its rider was named Faithful and True for he judges fairly and he wages a righteous war. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of all Lords. Revelation 21 verse 4 says this, And at that time he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things had passed away. We see in the first coming that unto us a child was born and a son was given. But in the second coming, we see unto us a king is coming. A king is coming. See, the first advent brought relief from our sin, but the second advent will bring relief from our suffering. This is what the, the promise of our Messiah is. You know, there's a lot of wanting and wishing and waiting in the Christmas story. And it continues today. We're in the midst of its fulfillment. See, King Ahaz and all of Judea, uh, they were waiting 700 years for this prophecy to be fulfilled. 
Even as Jesus came, we saw that Mary and Joseph and their peers, they had to wait 30 years for the baby to grow up and to Jesus start his earthly ministry. Today we find ourselves waiting, celebrating Jesus' first coming and awaiting his next. And like King Ahaz, we've been all given this promise and we are awaiting its fulfillment. You know, if I had a question for God, it might be, why the wait? Why not do it all at once? A couple weeks ago, we talked about the altar of new beginnings. We talked about how God cleansed the earth with the flood, and then he said, no longer, never again will I cleanse the earth with the flood. And, and what I want us to know, and even in the Bible, it says that Jesus' delay is for a purpose. His delay is for the purpose is that more people might come to know him. Jesus came to eradicate sin and death, but he wanted to do it in a way that didn't eradicate humanity. He wants to conquer sin without conquering people. He wants people to be saved in the process. And so why didn't he just do it all at once? I don't know, but Galatians 4 says that when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. God knew the right time to send the child, and so I know that God knows the right time to send the king. You know, we find ourselves waiting. We can wait knowing that God has things fully under control. My mentor, uh, my, my pastor, he used to always say, the purpose is the process. The purpose for anything we're going through is the process. It's not always the end result. We always love the end result. We always love the destination. But the purpose is the process. The purpose for us to endure this waiting is the process of refining, the process of dependence, the process of learning to be in relationship with God. Just like Israel wandered 40 years in the desert, the purpose was the process of getting them to rely and to see God as their source and their savior. I think also today the purpose of our waiting is to learn to rely, to be in relationship with Jesus. But in our waiting, we can wait knowing God has things fully under control. How many of the important things take time to develop, right? Important things take time to develop, but Jesus says in your waiting, I will promise you my presence. My presence will come through my Holy Spirit. I want us to look today at three things that Jesus' mighty power, El Gabor, Jesus is mighty in power and he is working in me. He's working in you. Philippians 2.13 says, for God is working in you. Everyone say in me. God's working in me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You know, it's tempting as we look at our Savior, it's tempting to think about Jesus, and we're tempting to think about how God will make my life better. We often pray about, God, would you answer the prayers that make my life better, make my life easier? Would you take my problems away? But the thing we see here is that in the waiting, Jesus is wanting to change us. He wants to work in us to become more like him to move from being selfish and self-centered, that is the nature of sin, to becoming more Christ-like, filled with his love, compassion, peace, and patience, to have the fruit of the spirit of gentleness and self-control. In the waiting, we know that the power of God is at work in me, producing the fruit of the spirit in me. How many want the power of God to be at work in you? In the waiting. Don't waste the waiting. Let the power of God be at work in you. But his mighty power is also at work for you. 
and it says here, the sovereign Lord is coming in power and he will rule with a powerful arm and he will bring his reward with him as he comes. This is Isaiah 40. As he comes, he will bring this reward. What is the reward? That he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. How many can testify to the power at work of God uh, for you? In you, but also for you. God wants to empower you to, to live the life that he has called you to live. You know, there are times in our lives where we say, God, where's your power? God, where's your power? I feel weak. I feel in the middle of the situation that I'm in. I, I can't see the end. How many know that when you're at your weakest, when you're at your lowest, that's when God's power is most evident in your life? I love as the apostle Paul, he had this issue, and we don't know what the issue was, but he said, Jesus, would you take this issue from me? Take this thorn out of my side. Take this thorn from me. And he said he prayed about it many times. But then each time in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, he received this response from the Lord. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Serving Jesus isn't becoming as about becoming superstars and superheroes and superhuman. Right? We often look like we, ha- we want to look like we have everything together. We want to put our best foot forward. But really about being Christ-like is about saying, I'm going to boast in my weakness. That I'm going to boast about my weakness because in my weakness I depend on the power and the strength of God who empowers me. I love it. That when I am weak, that's when I am strong. Jesus' mighty power at work for you. And lastly, the Jesus' mighty power at work through you. Acts 1.18 or 1.8 says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know here we see God's plan, his mission to spread the good news of his kingdom, the good news of this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace. How will we spread the good news of this coming savior around the world? I don't get why Jesus uses imperfect people. I don't know why he does it. In our weakness, we feel, you know, that we don't have all the words to say. In our weakness, we feel like we don't have it all together. Who are we to share the good news? How in our imperfection can we point people to our perfect Savior? And yet, Jesus said, you're going to be the ones who take this message around the world. You know, I love when my kids were little and we would go on little errands and we'd have tasks to do. And you know, sometimes we would make all the preparations and we would align all the things, but then we'd put the kids forward and we'd say, you know, like, why don't you do it? We want you to, I remember one time we were uh, blessing people in our community and so we had this plan and we got our kids and we went to the nurse's station at the hospital. We'd spend a lot of time at the hospital. We wanted to bless the nurses there and we, and we gave our kids some chocolate and said, here, you go and give it to the nurses, right? I bought the chocolate. I'm the one that drove to the hospital. I'm the one that orchestrated the whole arrange, the, the meeting. But in that moment, I said to the kids, here, I want you to have the joy of giving this gift to the people. I think that's what Jesus does to us. Why does he give us, why does he entrust us as imperfect people with his good news and his gospel message? 
because he wants us to have the joy uh, of sharing in other people's growth. Uh, he wants us to have the joy of seeing the look on people's faces when they experience the presence and power of God for themselves. I was at the coffee shop this past week and I was having coffee with someone that was on a journey towards Jesus and I was sharing with them the goodness of, of God. I was just trying to encapsulate it as best I could, trying to explain to them what it meant to follow Jesus and why I follow Jesus. And we talked for about an hour and I mean, you know what, William and Frieda it's really tight. It's like not a lot of space. I knew everyone around us could hear us. But we talked for about an hour, and as we were getting up to go, the girl in the seat beside us, she, she looked at us, and she's had so much excitement in her eyes, and she said, it's so great to hear the gospel being preached at the coffee shop. Everything you've said, I've experienced for myself, right? And she turned to the person I was with, and she was saying, this is so amazing. I, I believe it. I've experienced it. You can believe it, too. God gives us the joy of his power at work through us so that we experience the joy of being used by him. It's an amazing thing that God gives us the power to do, that we are experiencing El Gabor, the mighty God. Now, I don't know this morning uh, what situation you find yourself in. You know, maybe you're like, Pastor Jerry, I know it's true, but it's really hard in the moment. It's really hard. I'm anticipating some things coming up that, that I know are going to be difficult to endure this Christmas season. Maybe you're here and you're like, Pastor Jerry, my prayer list. I, I know I want God to be in me and through me and for me, but there's things that are pressing on my mind. I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know what God's answer for you will be, but I do know that God is El Gabor, our mighty God. And whatever you're going through, God has the strength and the power to sustain you. That's his promise to you. No, Robert Louis Stevenson famously tells a story of a ship. A ship at sea that was unexpectedly engulfed within a massive storm. Being pummeled by the wind and the rain and tossed by the waves, the storm was driving the ship towards the rocky coast. <clears throat> with every gust and with every uh, swell, the wind and the waves threatened to drive this ship to its destruction. In the midst of the terror, one daring passenger contrary to the orders, made his way across the ship. Groping along the passageway, he came to the bridge, and there he saw an unexpected sight. The ship's captain was tied to his chair, his hands firmly gripping the ship's wheel, turning the ship slowly, inch by inch, away from the shore and back out to sea. Sensing someone at the door, the captain turned and saw his watcher, and seeing the fear and terror in his eyes, the captain smiled. The daring passenger found his way back below decks to where the other passengers were huddled, and encouragingly he said, I have seen the face of the captain, and he smiled, all is well. How many know today that the face of the Lord is smiling upon you? God is in control. No matter how out of control life might seem, he is El Gabor, the mighty God. And his hand is firmly gripping the wheel of our ship. He is smiling upon you. All is well. The people were looking towards and hoping for strength outside themselves to rescue them. They were waiting and wishing and wanting for a hero, anticipating his impact on their world. As we look to the first advent, this first coming, Christmas reminds us that God still has a story to complete. That the end is not yet. He's still writing a chapter. 
that he came as a child, but he will return as a king, mighty in power. But in the meantime, his hand is at the wheel of your life. You can trust him. You can hold on to hope. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. All across this place, would you stand with me? One more time, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this incredible promise fulfilled, this incredible promise, Lord, that we still are in the midst of. Lord, in the midst of this, your hand is at the wheel of our lives and your face is smiling upon us. Lord, let that give us hope and courage and strength to endure the storms of life today. And when it's smooth sailing, we give you praise. And when it's rough sailing, God, we look to you and we give you praise. Lord, I pray that whichever people are going through, Lord, in the meantime, your powers at work in them and for them and through them, I pray, God, that we would see your hand at work for us this week. Lord, as we bring you our requests, Lord, we pray that your fingerprints would be all over our lives. We pray, bring healing, bring comfort, bring strength, bring joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, church. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come at this time. They're going to come, and they're going to be here at the front. If you would like prayer for any reason whatsoever, they would love to pray with you today. God bless you, church. I pray you have a great week.